Then I got two dogs, which I thought was going to be help me feel better. They actually just tore my house up and were, you know, defecating everywhere. And I just would like close the room off and start over in a different room. Welcome to the Depression Files, where we talk about everything related to mental health. From depression and other mental illnesses, to medication, to suicide awareness and prevention, to our current mental health system, and of course, to the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. We educate those who may know little about mental illnesses while giving hope to those who may be suffering. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. All right, welcome, John. I'm really, uh, I'm excited you're here. I am uh, glad to meet you. My first time meeting you. I know that you, uh, I contacted you through FaceIt, so uh, we both have that commonality. Uh, so can I'd love to start by uh, just asking you a little bit about yourself, what you do for a living, family situation, anything, uh, hobbies? Hobbies. Um, 51 years old, divorced. Uh, hobbies are like to work out, CrossFit, anything outside, um, no kids, two dogs, just normal, basic. I work for a local city, public works, and uh, that's about it. All right, so public works, so does that mean like wintertime you're doing the plows, summertime you're cutting lawns and stuff? No lawn cutting, a lot of snow plowing, uh, okay. tree trimming. A lot of patching of the streets, just basic stuff. It's, and are you usually working with a crew? Yeah, we're just seven of us, and I uh, work with three to five people daily, or sometimes even by myself a lot. Okay, cool. Do you enjoy the working on your own, or do you prefer to be a part of a team? I like being part of a team, talking, kind of messing with people. Makes the day go by a little quicker. Um, this isn't something I thought I'd be doing. In okay. life, but it turned out pretty good. Yeah, cool. Are there women or is it mostly men? In my mind, I just jumped to the assumption that it would be mostly men. Unfortunately, it's all men. <laughs> and uh, there's no opportunity to meet women yeah. working either. Okay. Um, all right, awesome. So, uh, you know, uh, I really want to uh, get into kind of your experience uh, around mental health. And I know you've been through some depression. Uh, I just know a little bit about it. I think, uh, you know, you made it sound like you believe you've kind of been struggling with depression for a long time. Is that right? I think I've had it my whole life, and uh, the episodes were just so far apart that I didn't realize what I had. It always kind of cleared up or got better, and uh, as I got older and the episodes got closer and closer, the more I realized I had uh, mental health problems. And the last time, they were like within months apart, so... It just got to the point where I couldn't deal with it any longer. Sometimes I wonder when they're like months apart, if there's actually a full recovery or if that's still like you've actually been in the depression. Even mine, uh, I had one bout and then I think it was two years, three years later, almost to the day I had another bout. And sometimes I wonder, and my wife wonders too, like, did I really fully recover or was I kind of in a a state of depression, you know, I mean, it's kind of on a continuum, right, of, of where your depression lies, so do you think sometimes those close bouts may really be, like, just a spike, maybe, in what still has been depression? I know, um, 
I'm about the same. I had uh, two years ago, I was diagnosed. I finally went in to the local, just the general practitioner. Yeah. But those two years in between were probably not even close to being healthy. I mean, if I thought I felt good there, that's would be a pretty bad judgment of mental health. Right. I knew five years into the making how badly my life had become, but I really didn't do much about it. But my best was probably 40% of what good would be. Okay, right. At your peak, at your best mental health, you were 40% of what it, what it should yeah, have been probably. absolutely. Yeah. And then, so you said it sounds like there was a lot of years where you didn't go in, you didn't get diagnosed. So was that living, like we talk a lot about depression, people masking it, going to work, just kind of pretending to be okay and masking it? Oh my God, I was the king of masking. Um, I would shave, put clean clothes on. I'd always go and buy, like my spending habits were out of control to try to cover up. So I always had nice clothes to put on, clean cut, haircuts every month. I mean, you would never expect any problems. But behind the doors were just like, I wasn't cleaning my house. I wasn't taking care of myself. It was just, it was so bad what you wouldn't see. Can you say more about like not taking care of yourself? Because on one hand, it sounded like you were, you'd get your hair cut. You'd go, you'd buy some clothes. You were up and shaving. So I hear you describing some of how you were still managing and taking care of yourself. And at the same time, I hear you saying, I really wasn't taking care of myself. Uh, part of it is, is um, I wouldn't allow anyone to come to my house. So I would spend so much time outside of my house, I wouldn't clean it. I'd have dishes piled up. I'd have dirty clothes because I'd just go buy clean clothes. I wouldn't do laundry. I wouldn't make the bed. Um, then I got two dogs, which I thought was going to be help me feel better. They actually just tore my house up and were you know, defecating everywhere, and I just would, like, close the room off and start over in a different room. Wow. I mean, it got that bad, especially the last um, last year was even worse. It was yeah. my total downfall. Okay. Um, so they would literally defecate in the house, and you wouldn't even deal with cleaning up? You'd just kind of close the door and not deal with it? Yeah, I got to the point where it was, like, if anyone, finally a friend came over and got into my house and uh that's when I knew things were kind of hitting the fan. I uh nobody even suspected but like my basement was just covered with crap and I let the door I leave the door open for the dogs to go in and out of my house and uh they just go in and out all day long and bring mud in and all my furniture was ruined. It was just like my hardwood floors were ruined. It just Part of my mental health was just hiding and, and feeling so sad and I was so overwhelmed I couldn't even do anything after a while. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you masked it to a point where it almost sounds like a double life, right? You go home and it was a whole different story. Um, I'm curious, like, I mean, that's almost like a not functioning level when you're at home, it sounds like, right? Yet. At work, you say you were able to mask it. How would you survive and be able to do your job to a level of competency yet not be able to do? And I know we said masking, but it surprises me that you were so low at home yet able to function and survive at work. Can you say more about that? I 
correct. I have no idea how I did it. Um, Do you think you were still productive at work? I was not a good employee, no. Okay. I mean, I, I showed up. I did what they asked me to do, but I was not a good employee. Um, In what way would you say you weren't a good employee? I was late every day. Okay. Um, I would pull to different areas and sleep, you know, because I was so exhausted from all the stress. Um, yeah. I'd be on my phone talking to support people. You know, even though they didn't know, I'd still try to talk to people just to keep in touch and... uh Support people, meaning friends? And friends, stuff? yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know you were going through depression, oh my God, but no. you were trying to just reach out to them. Yeah, I was just talking, just something, something to talk to, something to keep my mind occupied. Why do you think you weren't able to tell them, like, hey, man, it's really rough. I, I need some help here. God, I don't know. Yeah. It was, I was just so overwhelmed. I mean, I couldn't believe my house was like a hoarder's house on TV. I mean, it was that bad, and I was so ashamed, and, you know, the bills were piling up, and there was so much mail unopened. It was just, like, completely overwhelming. I mean, I just could not believe it. Yeah, and then, so you'd come home from work to that, and I think that alone would be kind of the cycle of depression, right? You go out, you try to mask it, you come home to a house that literally has some dog shit in it and is a, a kind of a sty, it sounds like, and just probably put you into even a deeper spiral down i would imagine yeah then i tried dating a woman at the end and uh trying to cover up all that and dating somebody was even worse yeah so did that and how would you try to date her i mean trying to keep her away from the house i'm guessing absolutely yeah so did it involve kind of having to lie to her about certain things so that you'd be oh, able yeah. to cover shit up i would I would try to clean the best I could, and she'd come over, and I'd try to, like, let's do this, let's go, let's go, let's go, you know, constantly on the move, you know. Yeah. So what, um, can you describe any other symptoms? Because I know, so clearly not being able to take care of the house, obviously, right? You did talk about, I know some people sometimes they can't get out of bed. It sounded like that was a struggle, I'm guessing, for you to be late to work. But were there other symptoms and, and feelings? Um, throughout that depression that you could describe? Uh, financially, I got myself pretty deep into debt. Um, I would just spend money like it was... I always had credit, and I always made it paid by bare minimum, so I just kept on overextending and overextending and, you know, eating out a lot. So I wouldn't have anything to avoid going home and over-exercising the point where I'd be at the gym for three hours at a time and trying to get fit and you know that didn't help much and you know that was that's how I kind of masked it and got out of my own house and out of my own head yeah and when you would go out like if you'd go out to eat or you go work out were you able to socialize with people or were you really keeping to yourself I had a group of friends I would socialize with and other than that I would not and you could socialize with your friends all right Oh yeah, and I'd I'd buy them. I, I'm the kind of person, being the way, I would always be helping other people without anything they wanted help with. I mean, I'd literally paint their whole house, and then for me to ask them for help would be like nearly impossible. Yeah, wow. Uh, you just you never wanted to ask for any kind of help. No, because financially or no, it, that would 
open my whole life up for to be able to see in, you know. Figure out more about who you really were at the time. Um, so that's interesting because for me, like, throughout my serious depression points, I couldn't socialize. Um, and I remember one of the last times I was out with a group of guys and I was, like, silent. And, I mean, one of them made a joke about how quiet I was. Um, and I would make excuses to not go out. So it's interesting. And I think this speaks to the differences that are in depression, right? I mean, sometimes people overeat and they gain weight. I lost like 60 pounds through depression. Some people can't get up and out of bed and others can't sleep, right? I mean, it's crazy how, how it varies amongst people. Yeah, I would, uh, it got to the point where I couldn't get to sleep. I'm on medication for sleeping now. Yeah. But uh, I would, I cannot stand, I was like, I hate being lonely. I mean, it was like my biggest fear is being alone. And uh, I would do whatever it takes to be with somebody. Yeah. I mean, it would amazing how much effort I would make to be with people. Right. You mentioned you're divorced, right? Yep. How long have you been divorced? 2005. Okay. And is that part of it, you think? Part of going through the divorce and then all of a sudden you were on your own? And No. Um, I, I don't know. I just developed that phobia of being alone. I just hate it. You know, I just, I'm trying to learn to live with myself now and it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Ah, it's another difference between us because, like, I'm eager to get down here into the basement where I can have some alone time everyone, with four kids around. Everyone who's wife, married work says with that. Kids. <laughs> if you're single, 50, you'd be like, ah, I don't yeah. want to be alone. Yeah, yeah, I get it. There's another guy I know we're in different groups and face it. Um, there's a guy in our group who's recently divorced, and I think he's having a lot of challenges being alone. He's used to someone always being there. We have a couple of guys in our group who've been divorced. Um, and I don't think um, that definitely, actually, I think in both cases that I'm thinking of, it played into their depression for sure. Um, so you said, I'm going to bring you back a little bit. You talked about, you believe like all your life you've been depressed. I mean, is, and when you say that, are you literally talking like childhood? You really think you were going through depression at that point too? Um, I've always felt like something was different about me. Totally, um, I don't know, I I just, I mean, I was like, had a normal childhood growing up until I was about eighth grade, and then my, my parents got divorced, my dad left, and he never came back, and that's kind of when it, everything started opening up for me, um, mentally. Yeah, shit, that would be tough. I mean, I was like, smoking weed, and eighth grade I did acid and I mean I was just like drinking and hooligan whatever I could do I just have fun doing it yeah and you talk about it as fun were you enjoying it then or was that also a piece of kind of the self-medicating like I'm going through depression I'm I'm really really suffering here and I'm gonna go to the weed and the acid and and stuff to feel better I always felt like I was doing something wrong and then I always was seeking out people that were like lower than me like okay. I went to private school, so I'd hang out with people in public school and people that just weren't socially accepted. I would always be their friends. Yeah, right. Uh, that's a lot of a lot of insight. I think you have into yourself and your your upbringing. 
Um, we I went to private schools, and I know we couldn't afford it. It was just kind of an image. It started the image, the self-image that things are good on the outside. Ah, uh, right. Um, is that something that you think uh, was based on your parents' beliefs? Uh, I think it was my mom, because eighth grade, well, she was alcoholic, and she had her own issues, and uh, she didn't clean the house ever. So I was the oldest at the in the house at that time, so... I basically did everything I could to try to maintain, and there's no way I could keep it up being a kid. That's a lot on a kid. Holy crap. Like you were, you said you were in eighth grade, your dad left, and then your mom was drinking at that time, you think? Oh my God, she drank so much. And you knew that as an eighth grader? Yeah. 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 I'd hear kids, oh, I saw your mom walking up to the liquor store. I'm like, oh. Yeah. How could you say that to me? Wow, that had to be a lot on your shoulders. Do you ever get go through any kind of counseling with that? I mean, I know people talk about those kinds of life issues that are huge. We're in eighth grade. I mean, I work with kids K through eight, and I think of eighth graders, and our eighth graders have gone through a lot of trauma, a lot of our urban kids. But to have a, a parent walk out and then another one that you know has drinking problems must have caused a lot of pain, I would think, for you growing up. Must have been very challenging. Well, I, well, we went to I went to Creighton High School, and then none of the counselors asked. You know, I try to maintain a good C's and just get by. You know, but uh, basically, our house would have been on an episode of Hoarders. Really? Extremely. Okay. Yep. That's kind of interesting because that's kind of how you described your house then. And they talk a lot about kind of genetics and with mental illness and different pieces. Um, what about, uh, do, so did you have any issues as far as, I know you talked about eighth grade going to doing some drugs and stuff. Have you had problems with addiction or drugs and, and alcohol? And did you end up self-medicating part of your way through depression no i i quit drinking and drugs by the time i was 24 so had it all out of your system by then I, yeah i <laughs> way overdid cocaine and stuff so i got like 27 years of continuous sobriety wow that's phenomenal and um so sobriety like you're not drinking at all oh no not even a drink nothing yeah and you do that intentionally because you're concerned that you could oh yeah i would die i'll be homeless and, yeah yeah. The way I used. Oh, that's awesome. Muscle. I give you a lot of credit. I have a uh, a buddy right now who's who's dealing with alcoholism and um it's been a a big big challenge. Um so to be sober for so long. Yeah, kudos to you. That's awesome and I don't think it's easy particularly when you're going through depression, right? You hear about a ton of guys. It's very common I think for men to to use drugs or alcohol th- through um self-medicating their their mental illness the depression i think um the last five years i quit going to my meetings Mm. and i think that's when it set off the severe depression i mean i was like five or six years ago was when all of a sudden things really changed my life and that's when i quit going to meetings quit going to meetings meaning aa meetings yep okay and you decided to quit because you had been sober so long you felt like you didn't need it I just got burnt out and I just got sick of it and you know I just had a million reasons not to do it and I just 
And you were doing well, it sounds I like. I was doing right? well, so, and one day I just said, I'm just done. So yeah. you were done with that, and it sounds like you're drawing a direct connection to your depression, then setting in deeper. Yeah. And can you can you uh, kind of articulate that um, connection more clearly? Well, I think eventually what happened was, or what on slight was, attitude starts changing. You're not grateful. You're not you know, happy anymore. You just kind of get in this rut. And you know, when you're doing meetings, you're talking about your feelings, and you learn to be grateful. You learn to be happy with what you got. And you know, how can you be happy if you're not grateful? And it's kind of that slide kicked in, and you're not around positive people all the time. So I right. think that's what happened. Yeah. And what did that look like when you started to slide? And how? Did, and did you know you were sliding? Yep. Um, like one of my triggers, if people notice my house not clean, in like that first five years, you know, the first year, all of a sudden it got a little bit worse, you know, a little bit more piles, you know what I mean? It just kind of adds up. And looking back, I could see, oh, what my triggers would be, how it happened. You know? Right. You, looking back, you can see those triggers. Oh, my God, yeah. Such as? Like, all of a sudden bills are piling up. I'm racking up credit. Um, not cleaning my house. I'm not doing laundry. Yeah, all the things you mentioned yeah, earlier. Not opening my curtains, as simple as that. You know, just simple things. Not doing dishes at night. Just letting them pile up. Did your, like, body feel different like for me depression had a very distinct feeling that I, I struggled to kind of even share with people to under I can't really convey what that felt like almost like a, a weight on me getting up out of the couch was difficult and sluggish I think for me it's like the Phoenix character pig pen okay oh he's got that big dust cloud around him but that's also over my head like a ah, cloud right. blocking the sun. Yeah. And then, you know, like one of my posts on my blog, I talk about, I, I kind of put the argument forth and say depression isn't sadness. It's very different. Like people can be sad. Um, can you describe your feeling um, on that? Depression for me is the loneliness of the lonely. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm, I just get so lonely that it's just even, just to get out the door would be, is impossible. So, meaning you'd stay in bed? Well, I used to stay in bed for hours and just cry. I'd be so lonely. Yeah. I had uncontrollable crying bouts. I felt like I would mask it at work. I would mask it at night in front of my kids. They'd go to sleep and I would bawl uncontrollably. Um, was a big one of my symptoms. I, mean, I, I was down to like 10 feet of my house into my bed. I'd just cry. Yeah. I mean, all the doors, you know, all the rooms from the dogs and everything was just like, it just got tunneled down into 10 feet. And could you distinguish why you were crying? I was just so damn lonely. I had broken up with that. Yeah, I was dating, and uh, I mean, I thought she was just the one, and she was the greatest, and I, you know, I still do, but it's not going to happen. I got that, but 
that just that just opened the biggest wound in my life. Yeah, right. Sounds like you're still trying to work through some of that. Yeah, yeah. I was. I don't understand why I care so much about her. I mean, it wasn't that great. Yeah, my friends well, say, but <laughs> part of it, I would imagine, is just like you said. Like for you, being alone is a challenge, and this was like you're finally back with somebody. So just the fact that she's gone and you are alone again, and it may not necessarily be the desire to even be with her necessarily, because like you said, really thinking hard about it, she's not that great, but she was with you, right? Yeah. It was company. It was somebody to be with, to talk to. Um, and you mentioned earlier that you're a social being, that really. Yeah, I, uh, I just felt like I blew it or, you know, I mean, there's so many different things that I think and, I did wrong, but I didn't. And that, you know, I feel like so much of that is usually the depression, right? I mean, you could beat yourself upside down blaming yourself. And for me, um, when I was in depression, when I was going through major depression, it was like everything was my fault. Everything was wrong. I was a bad dad. I wasn't doing my job well. I wasn't qualified for my job. I essentially convinced me, you know, so... um, yeah, I think our I think the depression can really mess with the cognition, um, the negative thought process, and then um, I think I mentioned to you earlier it's almost this kind of catch twenty two, right? You can't get better, you can't get yourself out that door, so you get angry at yourself, more depressed, and you kind of just spiral down. But breaking up with her was probably the best thing that happened because I went into the hospital, I got help, I went to couple inpatient treatments and just started working. Now I'm working with Lutheran Financial Services. I mean, I'm taking care of myself. Sweet. Starting to take, get your life back on track. Absolutely. So can you tell us about that? So you, you went into the hospital. Did you, was that like a check yourself in? I think typically from what I've heard, a lot of times the inpatient is like you are forced because of a, a threat of suicide or something like that and you're forced into the inpatient. Um, did you check yourself into the inpatient or how did that work? Um, probably for like, I'm going to say all of three weeks, my friends tried to get me to go in and I fought them completely. One time the guy even drove me there and I like somehow talked him out of it. Multiple friends. It sounds like three different friends tried to get me going. And then really? finally, was, were, were they all friends together? Like yep, kind of yep, they had a, a Facebook, like we got to get him in. They had a Facebook group page that they were talking about me also, you know, yeah. not talking about chatting and like, That's we need awesome. to do this. Obviously they care a hell of a lot about you. So I'm finally, I just, I don't know. I just couldn't stop crying. I was like so beat down that I called one. I said, Hey, I think I'm ready. And nice. She was like, I'm on my way. Wow. I mean, she was at my house within five minutes. Yeah. And then the other friend picked up my two dogs and took them to their house. And so I got, I went in, I got committed, you know, as soon as I realized I was Googling suicide. and Where'd you go? I went down to United. Okay. But they didn't have a space for me, so I had to go to Owatonna. Oh, my God. That's, that's part of what I continue to hear about our mental health system, right? The, the search, the hunt for beds. I even had an eighth grader in our school who was suicidal, and his parents told me they had to wait three weeks to get a suicidal eighth grader a bed. And I would imagine every night they went to sleep, they were probably wondering if they were going to wake up to him alive. 
So. so you go, so you figure out, did United help you find a bed then? Yep, yeah. They, okay, so that's cool. At least they helped you. They found you a bed. They said, you got to go to Otana, and then you had to catch a lift down there. Did you drive yourself down there? I wanted to take an uh, ambulance. Okay. But I had to wait like four hours before they could get me in. So I sat in this like closet. You know, I was locked in a closet, but. On your own, alone? Yep. And what what was going through your head at that point? That wasn't that long ago, I was right? Like, <laughs> I was like, well, Megan and Arlene were there with me for the first, like, hour and a half. Okay. And I'm like, you guys can just go, but I'm like, this is not a good idea. This is, they, like, took my clothes, and they searched me, and, you know, they, like, <laughs> they totally searched, you know, it was kind of humiliating. Yeah. You know, wearing pajamas, like... and I was code red, so I couldn't get clothes the whole time, but. I was just like, I, I think this is a bad idea. I should just go. Let's just go, you know. They so you started really having second thoughts. Oh, yeah, I was started. like cured. Yeah. And I was like trying to get out. I feel fine <laughs> yeah. now. I'm as happy as a lark. I was like laughing home. just like we are now. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm good. I'm good. I promise, you know. And then you're like, the doctor came in and like, you've Googled suicide. You've talked about it. You've threatened. You're going. You know, I had no other choice. Yeah. And in the end... You think that was a wise deal? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it I sure sounds it. like it. So they, you eventually, they sit you in a hot in an ambulance. Yeah, lay you down in the back. You yeah. sit up in a seat, or what's going on there? No, I had to lay down. I'm like, this, I'm getting car sick. I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I could see out the back, which is kind of made me car sick, but in a way, but medical professional in the back with you i'm guessing yeah yeah and are they doing anything like checking your blood pressure No, they're talking they just... with the other guys like kramer and uh, <laughs> kramer and costanza it seemed like <laughs> you know um wow okay so then then you get to Oatana and what happens there An ambulance drives you straight to uh another hospital yep i'm in the hospital and they do all this interview and this is by like five in the morning by that time wow okay so I get in, I get to sleep. They gave me some sleeping pills, but... So, like, get in, like, into a hospital room? Yeah. So the best part is, is Megan and Megan are lean, like, oh, my God, the food is going to be so good. <laughs> You're going <laughs> to love the food. You're going to get a, your own TV. You'll just lay in bed. You'll take care of yourself. No TV. Sharing a room with some guy. And the food was terrible. First day, I got rice and mashed potatoes. <laughs> I was like, I could have killed him. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So was this, uh, you know, I think I might have mentioned to you, I went to Daybridge. So that's at Regions, and they have a whole separate mental health wing. Um, and they have inpatient is upstairs uh, on different floors. And then I was in the partial hospitalization program. So I was going from 9 to 3, and I'd come home. Um, but you were inpatient, right? And was that in a certain wing of the hospital where it was like the mental health ward? Yeah. And tell me a bit about that. Yeah, it was like, it was a smaller one. And they're like, oh, you'll have a courtyard to get fresh air. Well, that was like a quarter of the size of a tennis court. <laughs> and it was barbed wired in. Wow. And wow. you could go out there on your own. That so sounds like, beautiful. Oh, 15 minutes a day, you had fresh air. <laughs> so. I mean, the way you're describing it almost sounds like you were kind of a prisoner. I was, they even, they checked me every direction also really yep. like daily no the, the night i got when it you there. entered yeah yeah um just to make sure you had nothing that could hurt myself or anyone yeah. else yeah right and then uh, you said they gave you some meds you fell asleep 
Um, did you have an official check-in, and was it before you went to sleep? Do you have they, a meeting where they interview you? And I, no, they did that the next day. Regi- regiment. Next day, they kind of did more interviewing with the doctor. Okay, and you met with a psychiatrist. I'm guessing, yeah, probably still misdiagnosed. Also, you were diagnosed there. You think just chronic depression is what they said. Okay, so I got out. I spent my five days there. You know, terrible. Watch infomercials the whole time. So five days there where you're not getting any coursework or anything. It's just they're giving you a new meds regiment and you're sitting in a room on your own. I was pretty much on the same meds, but they gave me something to sleep. Okay. And they gave me an allergy medicine. There wasn't any kind of, was that to help you sleep? Yep. And then there, there wasn't any kind of learning or rehab. It was just kind a few, of a safety for five day, a suicide yep, watch. It watched a like. few movies about depression. That's about it. Okay. Wow. So really, um, that's about holding you in a safe place while they adjust your meds if they need to make sure you're on suicide watch essentially, and then kick your rear end out of there. Yep. And so five days comes eventually. I bet that felt like a year. Yeah, I did. And uh, five days finally ends, and and then what? Then they're like, "All right, see ya." Pretty hey, much. thanks for the five days. Yeah, pretty much. And then I went. My friend picked me up, and then uh, were you? How were you feeling when they let you go? Were you kind of like, uh, "Holy shit!" Now I'm going to be on my own to deal no. with this, and nobody's going to be here to help me. By the fourth day, I was like trying to bullshit them to get out. Yeah, I'd tell them anything they wanted to hear. Right, right. Because I don't think I think they weren't. I mean, I granted they were, had me in there for safety-wise, but I wasn't really getting anything out of it. It didn't doesn't sound like any kind of rehabilitation program or Plus, recovery program. More about just keep this guy safe for five years. I never days. got my clothes because I was code red. I was the only one wearing pajamas in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my god! They thought it was a serious suicide threat. Wow. Okay. So you couldn't even take a shower by yourself, so I didn't even shower. I was like, screw it. Oh, my gosh. Oh. So then the fifth day rolls, you had your friends pick you up, did yep. you say? Yeah, friend came down okay, picked me up. Okay, that's awesome. You've obviously got some very caring yeah, friends. So the fifth, on, on, on all those days, they went and cleaned my house out. Wow. They got a dumpster, threw all my furniture away, tore all the carpet out in the basement, they had a service come in, do everything. Some incredible friends you have. Yep. And then when I got out, me and Megan, I've mentioned her before, we cleaned, did some more cleaning for the whole day. Wow. And and what was it like when you hopped in the car with them? Were you feeling better? Were you worried? Were you nervous? Were you like, holy crap, what's going on? What am I going to do? Well, I really felt ashamed more than anything. I was yeah. like, you know, everybody knew, or not everybody, all my friends knew what was going on. Right. I mean, it's kind of shameful to feel like you can't even do your dishes. Yeah. I mean, I, it was a sickness, but, I mean, I was like, God. And I think that's the piece, right? We have to remember that it's an illness. I mean, I right? didn't choose to be this way. I didn't choose not to do the dish. I just couldn't. I just, yeah, and, and I think that's the piece people don't get, right? That's part of why I want to be doing these podcasts, so people can kind of get a sense of what this really is like, and that it is an illness. And if you were going through cancer or chemo, people wouldn't be expecting you to be doing your dishes on a regular basis. But instead, a lot of times with depression or mental illness, they just think, well, 
buck up. Yeah. Come on, John. You, yeah. you couldn't do your dishes? That can't be that hard. Right? But people don't understand that it is a debilitating, serious illness. Right? And, and you just, you cannot function. Man, when I did, I took 10 days off of work without going into rehab. And I would make a short list of, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do the wash. And I'm going to wash one bat, clean up a bathroom. And I, I couldn't. And my safety spot was my bed, and I'd lay down and tell my wife I needed to take a nap, and I wouldn't come out of there for three hours, and I couldn't sleep a wink. But I kind of figured if I stay in there long enough, it'll be bedtime, and I'll be back there. Um, so I get that. So you get out. Bring us back to the story now. You get home. You mentioned yep. you cleaned up another day with these incredible friends. Holy smokes. Dumpsters full. Huge dumpsters full. So... And were you looking at that? I mean, like you said, more shame, right? Kind of oh like, God, wow. Yeah. And I could see, I live in the same city as where I work. I could see my coworkers drive by. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> this is so embarrassing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I told my boss, I mean, I had called him when I went into the hospital and said, I'm not coming in for about a week because of this. So you shared with your boss why? Yeah. So Was he understanding? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Awesome. I was lucky enough, too, that I had a boss that was fantastic about it. So that's great, too. Yep. But you got a lot of good going here, yeah, right? Yeah, I yeah. understand that you broke up with a woman. That's challenging. You had the divorce. Some serious things you were going through. And at the same time, it sounds like a really solid support system, right? Some great friends who took care of your house while you were gone, drove you to Watana, helped you. I mean, didn't drive you, picked you up, and uh, helped clean up the whole house. Yeah. Some great support, the boss. So we think... I was, everyone, I got out, everything was like going good, but deep inside I was still crying like nonstop. Yeah. So I went to my therapist, had an appointment with him. This is like three days out and I'm like, all I want to do is die. Yeah. You know, before I went to hospital, I was like thinking, you know, dying would be so much better and keep going through all this. But I mean, I was really serious about it at this point. Serious and, uh, about ending your life. Yeah, and I told him that, and he's like, why don't you try one last program, just try Daybridge. Oh, cool. Okay. So that's how I got into Daybridge. Okay, great. And then and they figured out I was bipolar. Okay. So it took all this time in my life to figure out I was bipolar, started getting on the right meds. Wow. But I was still suicidal probably the first two weeks of Daybridge. Okay, and Daybridge was only three weeks, I'm guessing. Yeah. That's where I was as yeah. well. And the um wow. And that this was not that long ago, right? No. And then they then they I was like in the third day and they're like we're probably gonna send you to prairie care after this. After yeah. the three weeks. I mean I was only there three days and like we need you to get we're already putting you on the list to go to this. For after the three weeks of yep. Daybridge. And the three weeks is pretty intense. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, and that's where there's a lot of learning and shit, right? Yeah. So that was the, the partial hospitalization program, right? Going yep. nine to three, essentially. Going home at night. and so I um, would go, and then uh, I had a suicide attempt when I was at Daybridge. While you were there. And uh, I didn't tell anybody, and my friend Arlene... What, this was while you were at home, but during the time yeah, of the program? Yeah. My friend Arlene, somehow, I, I don't know why, but I put her on as, you know. Emergency contact. Emergency, so she had access to everything, right? 
So she's calling up my counselor there. John's had this. John not being honest. John tried to commit suicide. I'm getting called out there. I mean, they're just like riding me like you not stop. And that, like you had a, a real suicide attempt yeah. then? I had a couple. Taking every pill I had. Okay. Wow. And did you have to go back to the ER? No, <laughs> I just kind of walked it off. Wow. Okay. I did it. Uh, she woke me up one morning. I had about 20 hours of sleep, and I was still probably kept sleeping. And I was basically, she made me get up. She was slapping me around a little this bit. This is your friend? Yep. So I got up. I couldn't walk. I was basically paralysis and somehow got it along the walls and walked out. And then she called the crisis center in Dakota County. Yep. Somehow, I don't know how I managed to get out of it, but I talked to them out of hospital. They were kind of, kind of come get me. I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> and they knew that you had taken a bunch yeah. of pills and been out for 20 hours? I took every bit of Seroquel that I had. Wow. Oh. So I was like, hardly walk. I couldn't walk. It was just like crazy how my legs wouldn't work. Yeah. And so... She called the crisis center from your place. Yep. You talked them on the phone out of coming to get you or anything, yep. and so they didn't even do a welfare check or anything. Nope. <laughs> that sounds crazy to me. That yes. just sounds odd. Mental illness can be pretty smart. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? God. You can, in alcoholism and, you know, drug addiction, you can get pretty smart. And Savvy cool about talking yeah. your way out. Did you essentially tell them it was an accident or? No, I just said I just. Stuck it. I just didn't wanna. I just wanted to sleep, and I couldn't get to sleep, so I started taking more and more. And huh. Wow. So from there, so she's waking you up. She gets you up. Yep. You talk. Child crisis out of. I mean, uh, crisis from out of, from coming. Yep. And what what happens from there? Do you go back to Daybridge? Yep. Went back. Kind of just pulled things together, started getting a little bit better. Things just, all of a sudden, things just kind of turned around. I don't know why, but they did. Well, part of it, uh, possibly, I would think, like you said, you got finally got a proper diagnosis. You got on a different medication regimen, and you were in a supportive environment, right? So there's a lot of good that could have been contributing to that. Um, and, you know, I've heard of that. I think that sounds to me, I'm certainly no expert, but like misdiagnosing bipolar doesn't sound like too unusual. And I've even heard of people who then get treated for depression because that's all they really are aware of. And then they, they get treated for the depression and the manic side just goes crazy, yeah. like off the charts manic. And then they finally, throughout that episode, figure out, whoa, something else is up. Um, so you've been... so. So you finished up Daybridge. Yep. And how long ago did you finish that? Uh, eight, eight weeks ago. Okay. Wow, so this is really what I would say call raw. Yeah, I went I to mean, prairie care right after that. Yeah, and how? that's right. How long was prairie care? Eight weeks. Eight weeks. I've been out two days after that. Two You've days. been out. So was prairie care just as intense a program? Um, yeah, it wasn't as long. You only went from 9 to 12. Okay, so least. half day. That's probably what they refer to as a step-down program. Yep, yep. So 9 to 12 for eight weeks. Yep. And did you like it? I mean, yeah, well, you, yeah. 
Okay, I good. I had a really good therapist there, and uh, of course, Eileen got her number. <laughs> Friends <laughs> are taking care of you, John. That's and, important. Uh, oh, yeah. She was all up in it. <laughs> yeah. So um, was it similar to Daybridge? Like, I know Daybridge, and it seemed like, you know, it was a very structured day that you went through with a cohort of, like, 10 people, typically about that. Yep. And it was one class to another class, essentially a lot of learning, and had a, the therapist appointments in there and stuff. Similar for Luckily, the... both Daybridge and Prairie Care only had four people in my groups. Wow. I got a lot more one-on-one. Wow, so, that's phenomenal. And the therapist was really good, and I just knew better. I just knew to share every day. Yeah. Um, some people passed, and, you know. So but, you're talking kind of the supporter, the therapy group. That you would yep. share what's going on with Constantly you. sharing, yeah. And I think that's huge, right? Like, I think the old saying, the more you put into it, the more you get out, is really true. And it sounds like you had a really good attitude when you went to oh, Prairie yeah. Care. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn, I'm going to get something out of this. Uh, yeah, it's very structured. And uh, So you had, like, a therapy group, and yep. you shared. What other kind of pieces of your day were there? There was an uh, hour and a half of psychotherapy, you know, like learning values or learning codependency or you know different, different to- it would be a topic and we'd yep. work and we'd just fill out worksheets and we'd be pretty hands-on constantly right we're in the group always oh yeah yeah and was it the same uh small group the entire yep. time okay wow so the uh, yeah the therapist i had she'd call you out basically if you i mean she would dig into your what you're talking about she would just dig and dig Whereas Daybridge, they didn't quite push you as hard. Yeah. That's good. I think they should push you, right? I agree. Like that's part of being depressed is like not doing a thing unless you get pushed. Especially like someone like me, I can bull- I can bullshit somebody. Not yeah. what they want. It would, I mean, it would have backfired eventually, but. So you did eight weeks there. I'm guessing you were, were you working at that time at all? No, or, so all this was FMLA probably, yeah. right? And uh, and how are you feeling about that? Like your house had been cleaned up. Your house uh, still pretty clean. You're yep, doing well yep. there. I'm doing it myself now. That's awesome. So you have come a tremendous way from eight, ten weeks or so, ten, eleven weeks. Oh yeah, come oh, a God. tremendous way, right? So now I'm doing um, Lutheran Financial Services, taking care of debt. Okay. What else am I doing? Back to AA. Great. You know, Great. So like, you know that was helpful, right? So no reason to give that up. I can't. One thing I agreed with is no dating till the end of Lent. I don't, <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. I've been on like 15 terrible first dates. Okay. And right. I think that's because of I'm not healthy enough, to be yeah. honest with you. So I just agreed. Arlene. Well, I think that's a good point. You know, if you're not healthy and not happy with yourself... It's going to be pretty tough to meet somebody in that. Right. Uh, Even if you met the right person, you'd probably ruin it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so what other pieces are you doing to stay mentally fit now? Um, doing a lot of meditating. I'm trying to learn to meditate. Awesome. I've been doing that too. Uh, just reaching out to people, constantly talking. I have... I'm still friends with the people I went to Daybridge with. Cool. So I contact with them, and they kind of ask people questions in this group. Nice. AA, you know, just 
going to the gym, just trying to stay healthy and I think going the, to the gym, but not over going to the gym. Cause you made it sound like that was kind of your outlet at one point. Right. Well, now that like I'm getting in an health- unhealthy way, it sounded yeah. like now that I'm getting healthier, it doesn't seem like it's that important. I mean, I know it's important. I put effort into it, but it's yeah. not my main focus. So you're not, uh, what's the word? Like hyper focused on it, obsessed with it. Exactly. It's not really an obsession. It's more a normal, Hey, this is a fitness deal. I'm getting older. I'm going to stay fit. And it's a great way to stay mentally fit. Yeah, I missed today and before it would be life and death. Right, right. So I missed today. I was like, all right, I'm going to take my dog for a walk. That's another thing I keep doing is taking them for Right. Just letting them do what they want. Taking care of the dogs. Yeah. Yeah, good. Good. The more, you know, the healthier you are, the more you can take care of the dogs. Right? As simple as that sounds, there's a lot to be said. Yeah. You know, come home and there's no dishes laying around or oh it's huge it's huge on your peace of mind right and it's not going to let you spiral down so i think now i'm really working on self-worth yep and that's a hard one yeah i mean i'm constantly trying to remind myself with daily affirmations that i'm worth it and i'm a good person and you know good things are going to happen if i just keep doing what i'm doing yeah absolutely sounds like you're on an amazing path well, i don't know about that Amazing path to get healthy. I mean, you you. look at how far you've come in what I would say is a very short time, right? You know, it's interesting um, that you mentioned kind of an obsession over fitness. Um, There was a woman when I was at Daybridge, she was only 22, and she was diagnosed with bipolar, and she was completely obsessed with, I mean, she was like eight hours a day at the gym, like exercising nonstop and that was like her outlet and she was always there. Otherwise she was like locked alone in her room and I think still still living with parents. Yeah, I can relate to that because I'm a five time Ironman finisher. So I would train twenty five to thirty hours a week plus work full time. Oh my goodness. I mean it's I had so many hours committed I had no life other than that. Wow. How how long ago was that that you were doing uh, the Iron Man? Uh, five years ago. Not that long ago. No. That's so you were like, like 45, 46? Yep. Doing Iron Man. So you see I, I don't think I can run two kinda... miles, John. <laughs> You're doing <laughs> I the don't Iron think Man. I can run two miles right now. But oh, my God. See, wow. that's the start of the downhill. The whole Iron Man thing, yeah. overly being overly obsessive. Overly active, and then all of a sudden when I quit that, I was had no goals or nothing. That's when CrossFit Fit come in, and that's kind of when my house started, all the mental health started crumbling. Yeah, so you can kind of point to some specific reasons, you think. I think sometimes, like with my second episode of depression, like I couldn't even really figure out what it was, um, and I think that happens. Sometimes you hear about people who are doing well in their job and and making decent money and they seem happy and all of a sudden there's about a depression. Um, But it seems like you you can certainly point to some factors that you think played a part of it. I think your questions are actually helpful in putting a roadmap together. Cool. Oh, that's good to hear. What about um, another piece? And you reminded me about this when you talked about the Iron Man that you shared with me before we started that you had some body image stuff too. And did, was that a part of the Iron Man obsession? Kind of like I need to be fit, look fit, 
Um, and I'm going to be, I'll do whatever it takes. If it means an Iron Man at age 45, I'm doing the Iron Man. Oh my God. I've been chasing, chasing a dream that is unattainable. I mean, I'm short, I'm stocky. That's the way my body is. Yeah. But I think I'm going to be leaner, taller, stronger, better, you know. So what I see in the mirror is nothing what someone else would. And I have, I'm working on it. And it's a lot of work. And I'm feeling pretty dang good lately. But I'm not 100%. But my body image, what I see is not what anyone else would see. In what way? Uh... What I see is a big belly, three chins, uh, grain hair, wrinkles. I mean, I could go on and on. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's so distorted, and yeah. no matter what I do, I can never get to the point that I want to be. I mean, I've gone so many extremes and spent so much money trying to get there. Yeah. That it's just, that, I don't think it. it's all in my head. I just have to learn to be happy. Yeah, well, there are a couple things that makes me think of. One, I think I mentioned to you how NAMI um, is really pushing to make um, eating disorders well-known, a well-known fact that that, that is a mental illness as well. Um, and, you know, it also makes me think of when you hear of women and men going through anorexia who look in the mirror and really think of themselves as fat, and when you see pictures of them or if you've met these people, they're like really skinny, yet they really believe, looking in the mirror, that they look fat. Um, so that that's what that made me think of when you talked about oh, looking in the mirror. My so mom different was anorexic. What's that? My mom was anorexic. Wow, so there's a lot of kind of connections yep. between your mom and you, it seems like. Huh? She, when she died, she was basically uh, homeless, living on the street. She had an apartment that my brother paid for her, but she wouldn't stay at it because of pride of him paying for it so she lived on the street a lot she was basically a bag lady but she was like 84 pounds she was anorexic pepsi wow. and cigarettes is all she ate yeah Ooh. and so do you believe that that's part of that's the genetic side of you then that that oh yeah and then you went through some eating disorders of bulimia or anorexia or bulimorexia um they call it exercise bulimia Whereas you do not, you overexercise to the point where you don't believe in what you see in the mirror. Right. So it wasn't more about the eating, but it was more about the obsession of the exercising. There was times I would eat to the point where I'd pass out. Wow. But I mean, it'd be, you'd do so much exercise, you'd eat. Exercise, yeah. eat. You know, it's like. Would you purge and make yourself throw up? I would not. Okay. Okay, but you would eat but to I the would, point of passing I'd out. also not eat. In order right. to lose weight. Wow. Wow. You've been through a lot. So oh. what, what happens from here? You said you started work and you had a really supportive boss. How, how many days have you been back at work? Been back to work two days. Okay, and how's that been? Pretty good, pretty good. <laughs> and the, it's a bunch of guys, you said, right? Yep. And they know why you were all, yep. all of them know why you were out? When I, when I got accepted in the day bridge, like the three days in between the hospital, Yep. I actually went to work one day, and I told them I was going to be off for, I didn't know how long I was going to be off, but I told them, at that point I told them I was off for, for that week yeah. in the hospital, and I was taking time off to go to a, another treatment. Okay, so you shared it all with them. 
And what was their reaction? Uh, pretty support, real supportive, actually, extremely. Yeah. And uh, that's awesome. Out of all the people down there, somebody knew somebody that had it, or was dealing yeah. with it, or had you know. So every one of them, you mean? Yep. Had a connection to somebody yep. else with depression of some sort, or a, or a mental illness. Wow, wow. And so all you felt was support, right? Yeah. Once you're able to share, um, there are a ton of people that have connections, so many, right? I mean, if you look at the statistics, so many people have a mental illness that there are that many more people who are, have been touched by it, right, in one way or another. So um, where do you go from here? You, you just started back, at, you finished up the Prairie Care. You just started two days of work. I, I love the fact, seriously, like, that you're in a supportive environment with guys who know what you went through. You don't have to, you know, for me, there was a lot of anxiety. I'm going back to work. I was at Daybridge. Nobody knows why I was gone. Everybody's going to be guessing why I was gone and I didn't share anything. And you, I think it's really healthy get to go back to a bunch of guys who it seems like you enjoy working with and, and they know what you went through and they, they're only supportive. So it seems like that's going to be great. How have your first two days been? Oh, it's been it's been good. It's I think it's been the first time in my life I've actually been honest and and been open, willing to share and let yourself be vulnerable. Yeah. That's big too, right? Being vulnerable. And I think it, it helps us grow and goes a long way. And now you've got a supportive environment at work. Um are, were you excited to go back to work? Were you nervous? What was that first day uh, like? It was, it was time to go back. Yeah. You know I mean, it's just, it's nice to be in a routine again. It's nice yep. to know what you're doing. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a good vacation, but. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it was just time to go back. Yeah, and not necessarily the kind of vacation you want to have to take. Like, eight weeks in Bahamas might have been a little different. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. So, I absolutely have no vacation or personal time left. I mean, I'm down to zeros. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would imagine, you know, earlier you mentioned how you weren't a good employee. My guess is that you're in such a better place in your life right now. And this is only 10 weeks out or something, right? 12 weeks out. And you're in such a better place. My guess would be you're coming back a way better employee already. And that's something to look forward to and be proud of too, right? I think I'm so much more grateful to have the job. I mean, it's... Right now, it's all I can handle, but I'm actually really grateful that I have the job and I don't have to stress out over employment or, or anything else. I mean, they really ensured me that I'm a good employee and I do good work, but yeah, I'm I'm really grateful. Yeah, and, and you're only going to be better because of that, I bet. You know, clearly you you've have this sincere gratitude towards having the job. I hope that you acknowledge how far you have come in such a short time. Um, and take credit, give yourself credit for the work you've done. Because I also, I always say like getting better from depression is very possible and, uh, but it takes time and it takes effort and you've put a lot of work and time and effort into this and you've come a long ways in a very short time Thank and you. you're only going to keep getting better. You know, I remember when I left Abridge and I went to a different therapist and she said, yeah, you know, you seem like you're doing really well. And it takes a full year at least from a major de depressive episode, which is good. That tells you you're going to keep going yeah, getting yeah. better and getting better, right? Yeah, it's so slow, the growth. Yeah. That you don't really notice it yourself. I mean, I feel a thousand times better, but 
I don't realize how far I've come, like you have said. Yeah. Yeah, That's you got to recognize it. Thank you. Yeah, and pat yourself on the back for it. Um, I think it's important to recognize even small successes. I think that's huge. And like you said, sounds like you have a goal to work just on kind of self-worth pieces, which um, a lot of us, I think, at Face It are working on, making sure the, the negative talk stuff. Did they talk to you at all about CBT and stopping oh, yeah. those negative yep. thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. Cool. Any other goals that you got while, or, or other yeah. things you've been thinking about, like I need to do this in order to remain healthy and keep on the road to even a better recovery? Uh, I'd like to be debt-free is yeah. a goal. Um, with cool. Lutheran, they said four years and four months. Okay. If I follow their plan. Sweet. So that's one major goal. Yeah. Um, just to learn and to do as much humanly possible for this to fight this disease and to keep maintenance the maintenance part of it is going to be a lot of work and i'm ready for it and good good and don't let it get you down right i think i my path for recovery was definitely like uh getting better getting better and then it would plateau or even dip and then you go up up plateau maybe dip but not as far as before and i think it's important to realize that there are dips and it doesn't mean you're spiraling down it doesn't mean right it's go, you're going into that deep, dark place again. It means, all right, hey, I'm going to kick it into gear. Maybe I'll do a little extra journaling. Maybe I'll go for an extra run this week, you know, without going bonkers on it. But I think you're right. I think bipolar in particular from uh, some of the few people I've met with bipolar seems like kind of a medication regimen to make sure you're on top of and managing a little bit more management on a regular basis from what I've heard. Uh, um, again, I'm no expert in it, but that's yeah, what I've kind of learned about bipolar compared to depression. I mean, it's, I have all the tools now. I just have to, you know, keep working at it. Yeah. And I love the idea of keeping in touch with the people from Daybridge, especially if they're supportive and remaining healthy. Um, I would say keep up. How long have you been in face it now? I think I've been there four times. Okay. <laughs> Stick with face it. It's I great. I said I'd go at least six times before I made a decision. And I think I really, I, I, I'll keep going. Keep regardless. going. Keep going. I think the more tools you have, the better. And there's no reason to give up on, on something like that. And I think um, you're doing so well to share your story with some of the guys who might be in a darker place still is hugely hopeful for guys. Um Another blog post I write is just about that piece of hope and being hopeful is so important. I'm hopeful to be married sometime. Ah, it'll happen. <laughs> it'll happen when you're healthy and yeah. when it's not Lent so you can date again. Cause it's not Lent. I think the, the dating piece. Oh, right. Yeah. The, uh, the dating <laughs> piece is important. Yeah. All right. Cool. Anything else you want to wrap up That's with? That's about it. Thank you. Yeah. I learned well, a lot about myself. and uh, That's awesome. Hope I can help someone else out. Yeah, well, thank you very much for taking this risk. I appreciate it. I value it, and and I think people will learn from it. Thank you. Thank you for for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the United States, you can text to 741741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you're a man who has experienced depression and would like to be interviewed for the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at 
Al Levin 18. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files. <laughs>